Bible has been around, read, adjusted, and interacted with for literally ages. Greg has read it so you don't have to, and now births into the world, Better Bible. Before we begin, as you will be listening to a retelling of Bible, please note that trigger warnings are in place for racism, xenophobia, violence, sexual assault, rape, child abuse, incest, animal cruelty, and more. Welcome to A Better Bible. We open up in Egypt, and before we even get started, this book is primarily concerning itself with the Israelites getting out of Egypt and forming themselves into a unified people of sorts. But last time we were here, thanks to Joseph and that fucking coat of his, the Egyptians and Israelites, in a manner not dissimilar to ebony and ivory, were living side by side in perfect harmony. So how are we going to get the Egyptians to suddenly become bastards? Basically, a new Egyptian king comes along and reckons there are simply too many Israelites. Simple, isn't it? He thinks, in small doses, they are a ton of fun, whole heap of giggles and mischief. But, you know, with loads, it's a nuisance, if anything. Chances are they will turn against us, so we have to fuck them first. The argument, whilst not the most savoury or tolerant, does make sense. There comes a limit for all things when it's simply too much. If I were given a French fancy, I would be over the moon, delighted with the tasty, tasty goodness awaiting me. If I was given a packet of French fancies, well, holy shit, this is just turning into a disgusting amount of fun. Hell yes, please, I'll accept and devour those tasty little bastards. However, hand me a hundred thousand French fancies and make me racist against them, and it is a bit much. So slaves were made of them, Israelites, not French fancies. Furthermore, as if that wasn't enough, the king told the midwife to ensure all the male children of the Israelites were killed. Bit much, but don't worry, she didn't do it. Which was just as well, because one of those little children is only going to grow up to be bloody Moses. Kind of the main character of this one. He's a baby, right? And in order that he doesn't get found and killed, he's put in a tiny little boat just big enough for him and sent down the river, only to be found by Pharaoh's daughter. She names him Moses, and here we are, right? Two verses in, and we have established that the end of the last book, yeah? Meaningless. As we're going to reboot the Israelites' tale, ensure they maintain the status of definite underdog, we have also acquired our hero. And this time round, there's not going to be about five individual heroes who all serve the same purpose. There'll be one who does about five things over and over and over again. A few years pass and Moses grows up a bit and is going for a stroll. He sees a couple of Egyptians just knocking about one of the Hebrews, and Christ, Moses is livid. He kills them, kills them dead, and immediately bails. Whilst he's off in the wilderness, he bumps into a couple of young ladies getting water. Again, with the fucking water. In this book, right, does every bit of man-to-woman dialogue have to have water in shot? Anyway, right, can you guess what happens? That's right, he bangs one. Meanwhile, in Egypt, the king dies. The Hebrews cry to God. God hears them, does nothing. Back to Moses. So, he's done a bang, and now he's wandering about the place. He sees a bush that's burning, but not 
burning, it's on fire, but fine, right? It's another one of God's silly tricks. Whenever he wants to speak to someone, he magics up the most ludicrous scenarios just to ensure that that person will definitely never be believed. So the bush is on fire and God says, take your fucking shoes off, son. This is holy ground. Look, my peeps are proper sad and I am deaf on it, okay? It's gonna be great, milk and honey and all that shit. God is in the house and I shall save this motherfucking day. However, I am going to need your help. Yeah, that's great and everything, but who can I help? I am a mere humble exile, a killer of both men and women, am I right? Can I get a how yeah? Very, very good, Moses, but I need your help. Look, when I say to Pharaoh, God sent me, and he says, like, how, man? And I say, well, there was this bush, right? And it was on fire, and it wasn't really on fire, but it was kind of on fire, and it wasn't hot, but heat was coming off it. I thought, he will think I sound mental. At the very least, can you tell me your name? And, and don't you say God. Now, God does give his name, which is translated in many ways. Now, it can be seen as a paraphrase of Popeye's, I is what I is, but it tends to be agreed to be this. Oh, oh, you'll, you'll see. see. Sorry, what? That's not a name. What's what's your name? You'll, you'll find out. out. Not sure I like the threat implied there, God. Um, what what is your name? Oh, oh my God, God, can you not read between the lines? My name is not important because I'm not so much a person as I am an experience, a way of being. I'm a metaphysical motherfucker always spoiling for a fight and you can't name that shit, son. You gotta feel it, you feel me? Of course you don't, but in time you will feel me, okay? You will understand and then you will know who I am, which is kind of like knowing my name. Now, what's my name? Say my fucking name. I, I will interchange between Lord, God, Father, I am, and whatsoever seems right, as words only limit your infinite power, so so long as you know it's you I am referring to, it'll be fine. That's right. Just one request. What is it? If you are sticking to this idea of not really being an entity that is named, if you're sticking with that right, and later you decide to invent a certain rock-solid rules, can you not do one that strongly relies upon you having an actual name? We shall cross that bridge when we get to it. Anyway, you got this right. Go tell Pharaoh to let my peeps go. Moses raises a point which is both obvious and revealing of the general slapdash nature of God's plan. If Moses storms into Pharaoh's house saying, God told me to tell you to let his people go, I know it looks like this may be coming from me directly, but I promise you it is the capital G himself. He's simply not going to believe him, right? There is literally no reason for Pharaoh to take him seriously. God thinks fair point, and, to alleviate this potential problem, gives Moses' walking stick magic powers that enable it to transform into a snake when thrown to the ground. He also gives Moses the power to give himself leprosy and turn water to blood. Okay, let's very briefly unpack this. God is giving Moses magic powers. He chooses not to give him an automatically shazam all the Israelites out of there and kill the Pharaoh power, nor does he bestow a murder all Egyptian spell. Instead, he gives Moses the way to magic a useful walking stick into a useless walking stick. Also, leprosy. When is giving yourself leprosy ever a desired outcome? True, it will make people see your magic, but it will also heavily hint that your magic is really not much of a threat to anyone but yourself. Although, fair's fair, blood water is always cool. God further throws traction to the plan by announcing, pleased as punch, that God will make sure that Pharaoh says no to any request Moses has to let the Israelites go. I'm sorry, what you, you have the power to change a person's mind. You're admitting that and you're deciding quite openly to use this magic to ensure that your desired outcome 
is much, much harder work than it would have been without your interference. Armed with shit tricks and a god clearly batting for the other team, Moses returns to Egypt and goes to have a word with Pharaoh. Moses asks Pharaoh a couple of times, oh yeah, right, Moses' brother is with him throughout all the Pharaoh nonsense. Anyway, each time he asks Pharaoh to let them go, Pharaoh makes life for the Israelites much harder. So you've got Moses going, don't worry kids, I shall look after everything, and the Israelites screaming, stop, stop helping. helping, for the love of any other god who isn't as much of a dick as ours clearly is, stop helping us. God, stifling giggles, tells Moses to continue asking. At this point, Bible realises that it hasn't done any genealogy for a while, so bangs a bit in, smashing stuff. Okay, Pharaoh keeps saying no. The Israelites keep getting fucked. Moses decides to take the stick-snake thing. This gets the Pharaoh's attention, and he manages to persuade him to have a walk to the river. Moses turns it to blood. Okay, now we're getting somewhere and the Pharaoh starts to buckle. God quickly swoops in, thinking, I've not had my fun yet. Hardens Pharaoh's heart, so he can get involved with a shitload of plagues. And plagues come. Each time Pharaoh says, Shit, stop the plague, your people can go. The plague gets stopped, Pharaoh screams, Psych! So the plagues, they are frogs, lice, flies, cattle, sheep, etc. all die, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, then firstborns all die. Right, before we get to the death of firstborns, which works, it would, wouldn't it? Let's have a think about all these plagues. There is a suggestion of a scientific explanation for all the plagues. If we consider that Egypt at the time was suffering from a dreadful drought, it is possible that the river turning to blood was in fact the result of the algae called Oscillatura rubescens. Turns water red, you see, makes the water uninhabitable and flourishes in extreme droughty heat. As a result of this, the aquatic mammals that could, would flee the river Frogs, shitloads would head for the towns, but the extreme heat would kill them. Their rotting corpses would lead to lice and flies. These get everywhere, and with rotting dead animals all over the place, the sheep and cattle are going to die. The boils seem very consistent with the skin irritation from using the algae-infected water, also having possible malaria-infected flies fucking everywhere. As for the hail, there has been evidence, I imagine, find your own sources, I'm just relying on one source, which is kind of just a Reddit post, listen, right, a fucking volcano went off, right? Some evidence of this volcano going off exists, possibly, and this often leads to hail, okay? Now, this one's a bit of a leap, but it's either that or God did it, so, right. Now, as there is hail, therefore shitloads of water following a massive drought. It only makes sense that a huge amount of locusts would travel to it. The sheer size of the locust swarm would darken the day, and the firstborns, traditionally, would be given the lion's share of food and water. All the food and water is contaminated, so the firstborns are being poisoned much more than anyone else. Ta-da! There you go. But back to the story, right? Just before the firstborn thing, God says, Look, Look Pharaoh will let you go after this, but there's a couple things to know. Firstly, paint your door in blood so I know whose children not to kill. Secondly, eat the right fucking bread. I, I am serious, yeah? As you will find out throughout this entire book, I may change my mind on certain things, but I'm not fucking about with bread. I love bread. And if you dare, you dare eat the wrong kind of fucking bread at the wrong fucking time, or if you eat too much or too little bread, no ifs, no buts, you're dead. Oh, okay, so we, we, we get it about the bread. Do you? Do you get it? Yeah, 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 we'll do the bread things you want done and no other bread things. 
So long as that's clear. Oh, yeah, thirdly, after this firstborn dead thing, you are gonna wanna leg it. So get your shit together right now, cool? After the firstborn dead plague, Pharaoh, furious, and tells Moses just to take his people and fuck off. Get as far away from Egypt as he can. Pharaoh wants none of this. The Israelites start to leave. God is still banging on about bread and reminding everyone to get circumcised as they run off into the wilderness. When they start their journey, there are two options. Go to the dead end of the Red Sea or go to the Philistines town. God decides they have to go to the Red Sea as there is a bit of a skirmish going on with the Philistines and he knows how skittish the Israelites are. So they head to the Red Sea and start a camp. Once camp set up, God, trying so hard not to giggle, goes, Moses, Moses, come over here, come over here. You'll never guess right. The Egyptians, the Egyptians, right, behind you, right? But, oh my God, I have such a prank for them. They are going to be punked so hard. Israelites, not knowing God is planning to Ashton Kutcher all over the Egyptians' face, they just start complaining, going, nice one, dickhead, that's a fucking bunch, yeah? They are going to find us and kill us. Moses reminds them not to be little bitches. God gets Moses to part the Red Sea. Israelites run through it. Egyptians follow, but the sea closes on them. They die, and Israelites are all fine. For three days, the Israelites don't complain. However, they are clearly shit at being grateful and start moaning again so God sends them to the 12 wells that Abraham built. I think they're the ones Abraham built. It seemed a little superfluous at the time reading about all those wells being set up, but I guess this is them? Anyway, for 40 years, Moses magic stuff for the Israelites, then they complain, then Moses fixes it over and over and over again. We get a brief cameo now from Moses' father-in-law, because remember, Moses is married. I know, right? Easy to forget, as she is perpetually nowhere to be fucking seen. But he turns up and has a chat, deciding that Moses, instead of ruling over everyone in a dictatorial way, should really have more of a parliamentary thing with people looking after people for you. So it gets a bit more governmental instead of dictatorial. Then Moses' father-in-law fucks off out of the story, never to return. They get to Sinai and Moses goes up a mountain and gets given a load of rules. Rules that if you break them, you and the next four generations are screwed. And if you follow them, you and the next a thousand generations are fine. Okay then, ten commandments are Thou shalt not have any gods before me. Don't make any graven images or worship anyone but me ever. My name is Jealous. Don't take my name in vain. That'll fuck me off. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, and don't work on the seventh day. Honour your mother and father. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet your neighbour's horse or wife, any of his stuff. Strict instructions on how to make an altar and that if you're worshipping at an altar, don't be naked and don't make money. I know that's not what you were expecting to hear as the Ten Commandments, but it really depends on your reading and your translation. God dishes out a shitload of commandments, and it's a little tricky to tell which run into each other and which are standalone. All the coveting stuff could easily be read as one massive rule or about six separate ones. Also, when God is talking about only worshipping him, he constantly talks about these other gods as if they do exist. It's really not clear at this point if God is the only God. It's obvious that he is the only one you should be listening to. He, he goes to extreme lengths to make that clear but it reads to me as if there are a million gods. All the religion's gods do exist, but they are for other people. Besides, we're not done with the rules yet. 
shitloads of rules for servants, or slaves, again, depends which version you're reading. Servants, definitely property, but there are correct ways to buy or sell them. Goes into more depth with killing, essentially. If someone is being a dick, you can kill them, like if they break a commandment. Loads of rules about oxes, like including a very specific rule about if you dig a hole and don't cover it and then an ox falls in, essentially you must die. So these rules are given at the same time as the accepted Ten Commandments, which means that they are just as important. Fair enough, if, if you want to be taking Bible literally, you can't kill or commit adultery, but also you've got to be bang on it when it comes to bread and ox law. More laws include crop rotation, a catch-all don't be a dick law, explains the currency of animals, don't oppress strangers, don't cook a kid in the mother's milk, not only don't pray to other gods, but you must destroy other gods, and constantly promising to take them into a war against all the other people, again, destroy god, so they do obviously exist. After an exhausting amount of rules and laws and bylaws and nonsense, Moses has a walk around Mount Sinai for 40 days and nights. Classic Bible. Incidentally, I'm sure I'll mention this over and over, but 40 does not mean one more than 39 and one less than 41. 40 here means loads, a laboriously large amount. Numbers are used in this really, really fun and exciting way in Bible. God now directs a series of stones, metals, woods, etc. that Moses must get people to hand over in order to build the Ark of the Covenant. An interesting part of the story because at this stage there is nothing to put it in. It's just going to be an elaborate shiny box that may come in handy at a later date. The instructions on how to make this go on for six chapters. Six chapters explaining, in painful detail, how to make it, what size it will be, and what robes the priests who carry it must wear. Okay, so with the rules sorted and transcribed onto two tablets, yeah, forgot to say, but that has been happening the whole time. Moses goes down off the mountain to have a word with the Israelites, and what are the calm, reasonable, loving Israelites doing? Literally breaking every fucking law. To be fair, they hadn't been fully informed of the rules, but it's pretty standard not to go around killing everyone, so they are going mental. It's like what I imagine Gomorrah was like down there. It is, in fact, so bad that when Moses sees it, he loses his shit, drops the stone tablets in astonishment, they shatter into a billion pieces, and then he orders about 3,000 Israelites are immediately murdered. <laughs> no fucking about it. 3,000 dead, and God decides that the Israelites are going to be plagued like forever because gold cows or something. So God has promised that these people will simultaneously be the best and chosen people to rule everything and have everything and be the best than anyone, and be eternally plagued and shat on for doing some mistakes. It, it's a complicated relationship the Israelites have with God, to say the least. Moses has to write those tablets again, but just before he does, God lets him know that him and his people got to get going again onto the land of milk and honey. And by the way, anyone who ever sees God will immediately die. So there's that. But, you know, you can have a look at his back parts if you like. So Moses writes the commandments on stone again, and God starts banging on about bread a bit more because, as has been made abundantly clear throughout Exodus, God fucking loves him some bread. After what I think we can all agree is far too much bread chat, Moses finally gets round to telling everyone what the commandments are. The Israelites go, oh 
shit. That'll be why he was so mad. Well, thanks for letting us know before we went on and did all that stuff, Moses. Dick move, bro. Dick move. We're almost at the end. Just a few short chapters left which decide to introduce us to a new character, Bazaliel. Apparently, he's a pretty cool guy who keeps the commandments and he is tasked with building the Ark of the Covenant. He does this, pops the tablets in it, and God says, yeah, thanks for setting that up, partner. And off they go into the wilderness. Exodus, literally ending there with them walking into the sunset. I can hardly wait to find out what crazy adventures they get up to next.